Hey everybody, welcome back to Big Things with Zach Miko. On today's episode, we sit down with model, blogger, and journalist Liz Black. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. This is Big Things with Zach Miko. Guys, thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Zach Miko, as always. Guys, this has been such a fun launch. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for all the subscribing, for all of the comments. We're so excited for this show, and you guys are making it such an amazing experience. Deeply from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much. We have such a great show for you guys today. I sit down with my good friend Liz Black. She's a model a blogger, a journalist. She's written for Refinery29, for Yahoo, for Huffington Post. You name it, she's probably written for them, focused on plus-size fashion. She's an amazing person, and we have a hell of an interview to bring to you in just a little bit. But before we bring you that, I just absolutely have to talk about Queer Eye. Guys, If you remember, back in the day, there was an awesome show called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I loved that show. It was a dream to be on it. I was such a little ugly duckling, and I just thought if Carson and all the rest of the Fab Five would come and make me over, I'd be everything I ever dreamed of and more. Well, the show is back. It's on Netflix, and they dropped the straight guy part. Little hint. Maybe you want to see some of the episodes. I'm not going to try to spoil anything. But anyway, it's rebranded as Queer Eye with a brand new Fab Five. And this is the most amazing, heartfelt, incredible show I have seen in years. I think one of the things that's most interesting and most compelling about this uh, reboot of the show is that it doesn't take place in New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco or any other amazing gay-friendly city. It takes place in Georgia. The Fab Five Loft is in Atlanta, but they don't even just stay in Atlanta. They go off into the more rural parts of Georgia, getting to know people that don't come into contact with gay people. And because of that, that's not a subject they shy away from. They deal with homophobia. They deal with racism. They deal with systemic police violence. They deal with overly religious people. They deal with any problem you can possibly imagine. They approach everything with such openness and such love in this show. And... Anytime anyone has a criticism of them, there's no judgment. They just clear the air. They just explain in the most amazing, tolerant way possible. This show gives me so much hope. This show helps show me what kind of a place this world can be. People of different backgrounds, of different sexuality, of different genders, of different religious ideals, dealing with one another in an open and honest and love-filled way. There's a time where an old-timer asks one of them who's married, well, which one's the wife and which one's the husband? And they stop and they clear the air and said, let's unpack that because... Some people don't come into contact with people who are open and out, and they don't understand it. 
They were taught, whether by their religion or by their upbringing, that homosexuality was wrong. And these aren't mean, horrible people. These are people who didn't know any better. So the Fab Five in this show does an amazing job of just explaining with no judgment, with no hurt, with no outrage. They come to it with openness and love, knowing that people think differently. They are the ones big enough to come to the table. It is so lovely, and I love... You'll fall in love with these guys as much as I did. And for the record, Camaro, Jonathan, Anthony, Bobby, Tan, you have an open invitation to be on this show at any time. I would be honored to sit down with you because you five truly show what love, openness, acceptance tolerance and understanding really can do to this world. I really believe this show is what America could be. People of every race, nationality, sexuality, creed coming together and understanding one another and understanding that we all want the same thing and that there's still a lot of work to be done to make everyone in our country truly feel equal and represented. Tan, the fashion expert of the new Fab Five, said in the beginning of the opening episode that the first Queer Eye was about tolerance. This one is about acceptance. Well, from the bottom of my heart, Queer Eye, thank you for coming back. Thank you for giving us an example of how to come a little bit closer in a divided world. And guys, I love this show so incredibly much. I promise you this is not the only time I will be talking about it. I'm going to wait a little while for you guys to see some of the episodes, so I'm not spoiling anything. But you will cry pretty much every episode, and you will feel so open and so warm and so incredible. You're going to sob harder than you've sobbed since you were an infant in episode four. Just so you know. Speaking of openness, love, and acceptance, I got to sit down with my good friend Liz Black. Liz Black was the head plus writer for Refinery29, as well as a contributor to Yahoo, Huffington Post, you name it. She's an internet journalist extraordinaire. She's also a model. Last year, she went viral for her sample size photo shoot. Now, what she did was she took what the sample size was of all of these couture amazing garments and showed them what they would look like on a full-figured woman. Spoiler alert, they didn't fit. Liz's photo essay really showed the absurdity of the gap in the fashion world between consumer and designer. I think it was an amazing commentary on where fashion is and where it needs to go. I think she's an incredibly inspirational human being. Her and I talk about body positivity, what it means to be a bigger person in the world, and just all around have a great time. So thank you guys so much. Sit back and listen to my interview with Liz Black. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Liz Black. She is a contributor to Refinery29, Fashionista, Yahoo, The Revelist, you name it. And she has her own blog called P.S. It's Fashion. Hey, Liz. How are you? I'm I'm great. I got a puppy in my lap. I couldn't be happier. That's even better for our audience that can't see the puppies wearing a wonderful Adidas dog jumpsuit i think it's adidas knockoff yeah it's, i only see it's addy dog it's addy a, dog i see yeah. two stripes so it's not official <laughs> no. liz is one of the foremost plus size writers out there and i came familiar with her work very early on when we did an article together about myself which is you know 
a selfish way to meet somebody, but it was really <laughs> nice. Yeah. Liz, where are you from originally? I was born in New Orleans, but I've lived in New Jersey since I was two. So, so like mostly Jersey girl. Yeah, I yeah, consider yeah. myself pretty much that. And I know I say water weird, so I think oh, I've yeah. adapted the accent that, pretty well. That's that's one of, one of the number one things. <laughs> yeah. You don't say wash, do you? Like, I'm going to go wash my hands? I don't think so. I think water's the only one that yeah. like people will point out to me. I think most of the time I don't have like a strong accent, but people will notice that one. Yeah. I don't care. It comes <laughs> out. I, I'm from Connecticut and the, the ones that I didn't know Connecticut had an accent and I'm pretty sure it doesn't, but I'll say like, <laughs> oh, there's something up on the roof and people mm. are like, huh? The what? You a dog? <laughs> and I'm like, no, just, <laughs> just there's always those words thing slips is. out. Exactly. So did, so you moved here when you were three years old. You have brothers and sisters? I have three half-siblings from my dad's first marriage. Uh-huh. Uh, he was 19, and his girlfriend got pregnant. Back in that day, you just got married. That's and what you did. That's just uh, how it was then. I mean, this was 1959, so yeah. yep. all my siblings are in their 50s, and I'm 33. Yeah. Never lived with them. They're kind of like aunts and uncles. I'm closer in age to my niece, who's only 10 years younger than me. I definitely can see that. <laughs> I had a fr- one of my best friends growing up. His uh, nephew was two years older than him. So, oh, wow. So we kind of... I'm real familiar with odd age <laughs> ranges in yeah. family were you always when uh you were younger so you moved to new jersey did you go to public school catholic school i went to a private elementary school when we first moved to new jersey because the area we lived in didn't really have like the best school systems uh-huh. i don't know what they're like now they could have improved but in the 80s uh the school systems in roselle just weren't super fantastic so yeah. i went to a private school which was a really fantastic way to start life because it was not religious whatsoever it was incredibly diverse yeah and so i had friends of all different backgrounds and ethnicities and it was i think a really incredible learning experience to be able to do that and it was a great education too and we got to go bowling for gym because we didn't have a uh, gym room or anything yeah like every day Um, or or once a week that's awesome i that's i'm jealous of that yeah i'm a big bowling fan obviously did you have to wear a uniform no, but okay. I was on JV bowling in high school, and uh, I joined that because I wanted to go bowling for free with my friends. And that's a good reason. The majority of the times I joined clubs in high school was to meet boys, and I was one of two girls on the team. I had to wear a bowling t-shirt for that that had my name on it. I okay. do have pictures of that. I don't <laughs> think I still have the shirt. Was though. that your your first foray into fashion? Was <laughs> the was your bowling outfit? Oh, oh yeah, that that was what did it for me. <laughs> when I was in like middle school high school i thought it was super cool to wear bowling shoes as mm. as regular shoes <laughs> just out in the day you know no one told me i guess middle school like yeah my my fat kid uniform was that Oof. and then like one of the like the rayon button-up shirts that looked like a, that was like the shape of a hawaiian shirt but instead it had like dragons and fire oh. and like japanese writing on it and yeah yeah, middle school was, was tough. Middle school yeah. was rough on, yeah, was not, on, on all the stuff. I don't think anyone was fashionable in that time. I mean, maybe now with you know the internet and whatever. I but know like, they get a little bit of a, a little yeah. head start. Oh yeah, they can look at people like you to just be like, "Can you? You went through trial and error for thirty three years. Yeah. Can you tell me what I'm supposed to wear now?" Well, and also when I was in, you know, I have been chubby since fifth grade. I'd say. Uh huh. So like I went, I was the tallest girl 
in school in fifth grade. Yeah. Sixth grade, there was one girl taller than me. I still was taller than all of the boys. I've been the same height since sixth grade. Oh, and geez. I always was bigger. I was chubby and then in high school i was fat and there were five options for clothing mm -hmm. there was uh lane bryant avenue Catherine's, ashley stewart and torrid and those yeah. first four were um really matronly like really yeah. like that's where my mother would shop and they were sad and torrid was like the only thing that kind of appealed to my demographic but it yeah. didn't appeal to my personal taste but what other options did i have so I would go to the Woodbridge Mall with my best friend, and she would shop at uh, five, seven, nine. Those were the three sizes it carried. Oh, and uh, wait, wait, there was yeah. a store called Five Seven Nine. Yeah, yeah, and oh. they only carried those three sizes. And she what? was like, Dicks. I guess a size like, five. Okay. And uh, then we'd go to the one fat girl store. We'd go to Torrid for me, and I hated it so much because. It was so obvious, like, okay, this is the one place I can shop at unless yeah. I want to look like someone's 50-year-old mom. For me, it was a store called Stephen Berry's, hmm. which no longer <laughs> exists. But it was, they carried, it was the only store that carried every single size you could think of, like, yeah. from, like, you know, 28-inch waist all the way up to, like, you know, 50, 60. Mm -hmm. But that was also because everything they made was $5. That was the oh. store's gimmick, that everything was $5 no matter what. Wow. And I miss them deeply. I can see why they didn't last. Though. Yeah, I don't know what kind of manufacturing scheme they had to get garments that cheap. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I know for me, I was the same. I, I was always, you know, started off chubby in elementary school, became heavy in middle school, fluctuated in weight wildly in high school while I was trying not to be heavy. But and it took me a long time to just, you know, realize that people are people and <laughs> like and as long as you're feeling healthy and happy, then fuck them. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. But as you said, like, yeah, when we were in that age, there was no real options yeah. for people of size. Why do you think it took people that long to click in, especially, the, you know, the fashion industry, that people want to buy clothes and look fashionable and feel good about themselves, whether they're a size two or not? Well, I mean, I still have that same question now, considering it's like a $21 billion business. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure you've heard all the numbers. 67% of women in the U.S. wear a size 14 and above. So there's more people size 14 and above than there are below. Yeah. And we're still seeing brands and designers dragging their feet and not wanting to be part of it. So I still have that same question. Uh, back then, I mean, I think that it was uh, it was before the Internet. It was before the body positive movement really had a home to live in. And mm -hmm. it was before we could really reach out to brands. I mean, back then, like, what, what did you do if you had an issue with a brand? You'd go and complain in the store. Maybe you'd send a strongly worded letter. Like, yeah. I don't even know if there were numbers to call or anything like that, you know, because I mean, I'm talking about this is like mid to late 90s. I was in middle school and then my school years were really easy for me to remember because they lined up with the numerical years. So 99, I was in ninth oh. grade, 2000, I was in 10th. Even better. <laughs> but like, I didn't have that was access the same to the as internet. my wife. Uh, you were born in 84? Yep. Same yeah. as Laura. That's cool. It's your Jesus here. How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, unaware enough about religion to be aware of that, but good. I no, feel it, it, the only reason I bring I that up be is because year. that's every, every. So many people have said that to my wife. Oh, really? Since that, and my friend um, and comedy partner Karen, it's the same thing. People just kept being like, "Oh, it's your Jesus year. Ooh. You better make it count." And Ooh. it's like that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. To start off 
with? Well, I feel like 2018 is going pretty well, yeah. and uh, I hope that hers is as well. Yeah. You know, I was just happy to get past 27 because I didn't want to be part of the 27 club. I'm only aware of that age number where it's like well, lots of people die at 27. I know. I'm, but I'm not a singer or an actor, so I think that's why I was safe. I slipped through, but I think it's because I had no real notoriety yeah, until I was exactly. 28. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> So I you missed it. it by a year. I missed it. I was just My like, own. oh, God, good. I, I didn't have to <laughs> die that year. If I had gotten any, uh, if you had written an article about me at 27, mm. I wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> with you. today. <laughs> Thanks for coming along. <laughs> so talking more about um, plus size fashion and whatnot, a lot of people have made huge strides. Like, as we said, we mentioned people like Lane Bryant and Ashley Stewart. And for a long time, they did feel matronly. Mm-hmm. I felt with uh, a lot of the big and tall brands that I did, that I looked like, I used to say I was tired of dressing like a woodshop teacher just because that was what they had size-wise for mm-hmm. me. Why do you think they finally clicked in? Besides the obvious reasons of they realized they could make money, what do you think were some like key moments that kind of helped kickstart mm. the, the, the plus size or curve or whatever you want to call it, revolution in fashion? Um, I really think the internet and birth of blogs and having these types of communities, I think that that really was an enormous awakening for a lot of different brands out there, both plus brands and brands that aren't in that, just because it gave people a platform and it gave people a community so that they could come together. I mean, before, you know, I think about before the internet, before I had that type of an opportunity to reach people, yeah. you know, I didn't have any friends that really were like my size for the most part. So all of my examples were like, everyone is thinner than me. I'm always the biggest person, no matter what. Even when I was at my thinnest, I still was the biggest person. Yeah. So it's like having just that kind of community level to know you're not alone, I think is immensely important. And I think yeah. it's still incredibly important now across the board for any marginalized people to know that they're not alone in these things. And I think that any intelligent brand out there, and I mean, these brands at the end of the day, they want to make money. And if they're smart, they're going to put money into plus fashion. So there are a lot of really stupid decision makers out there still who are making poor decisions for their companies. But there also are a lot of really intelligent people too, who are seeing this as not just a way to benefit the consumer, but also they can see it as a cash grab. I'm yeah. okay with you seeing me as dollar signs because you know what? Fat money spends like skinny money. Like just give me the opportunity <laughs> to spend that. it. Yeah. It no, and it's exactly it's exactly that. It's I, I make the same argument in the big and tall community where I where like we're big and tall brands and, and getting extended sizes into men's brands. Mm-hmm. It's like you have over fifty percent of America wears a forty or larger. And you have these men who have never spent money on clothing in their life. They have, for the lack of a better term, disposable income that they are spending on video games Mm -hmm. and they are spending on other stuff that they would love to spend. Or the big thing is for a long time for fashion, for big guys, it was sneakers. Sneakers are so big Mm. in like in men's fashion because it's the only thing we can all wear. Oh, I I can totally see that. I have probably about like 300 pairs of shoes yeah. because, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I wear like a nine and a half, ten, and I can find my shoe size That's almost awesome. everywhere. You know, I know for women, once you go above an 11, you kind of get screwed with options but that's still improving too thankfully but yeah i totally get that it's like let me find the accessories i'll spend my money on purses or shoes before i spend money on clothes because it's like 
well, those shoes are still probably going to fit me. Yeah. You know, they're not going to shrink after one wash because my only options are shoddily made merchandise. Yeah. I, I had plenty of friends who were bigger guys that wore the same plain white t-shirt and gym shorts every day of their life, but they always had fresh great looking Mm -hmm. the newest style would wait in line for the new pair of jordan sneakers that was the only way they could express themselves in in any terms of fashion because people think that men don't want to express themselves fashion wise but they always do absolutely like whether it is even think of the kids that feel like they're the outcast and they don't care they're still wearing an iron maiden t-shirt and Mm -hmm. they're still wearing chains on their pants and they're still portraying a certain fashion that they want to be a part of so do you remember the first time you started writing about plus size fashion have you always written or was, was writing always a goal in your life Writing has always been something that's come very naturally for me. I am very fortunate that I've had teachers in high school that encouraged my talents. I actually used to write a lot of poetry, and I had a fantastic creative writing teacher. I was part of our high school's literary magazine, Muse. I won a silver medal from Columbia for one of my poems. I had things submitted, and I got to read one of my poems for uh, Rita Dove. Okay. So I had a lot of experience with writing, and then I... Went to college for psychology. I have a bachelor's have in psychology. Any idea how many people I talk to ended up going to school for psych? Ivan uh, Bart, <laughs> Ivan Bart's degree is in psychology. Really? Yeah. Oh well, look, he and I have something in common. I know. <laughs> My mother went, went to school fashion. for psychology. So, but it, it's a it, yeah. It, yeah. Well, I find the the motivation of people fascinating. Uh, yeah. And I want to understand people more. I think that I don't know how much I really believe in uh, astrology, but I do feel like I embody a lot of the characteristics of a Libra, which yeah. I am. And, you know, I really try to understand people. I'm very non-judgmental, And I felt fascinated in uh, what Oliver Sacks had written in a lot of his books. He did Awakenings. Some mm-hmm. people may have seen the movie with Robin Williams. Um, it's fascinating so i wanted to pursue that but i originally wanted to go to fit for fashion design and uh my parents paid for my education i'm extremely fortunate that i don't have any student loans and they told me yeah yeah, no i know i'm it's very rare still the bane of my existence (laughs) basically everyone i know with the exception of my husband his brother myself oh I, i i truly think it's the greatest injustice put on our generation oh yeah because so many people in our generation are essentially starting life a decade behind everyone at least all of our parents are just like oh how come you didn't you know i bought a house at 25 Uh, and i said yeah you had a sixty thousand dollar job in the 1970s with a high school education that's not fair (laughs) that's not a thing we get i have friends that have six figures of student loan debt and yeah it's it's horrifying but because my parents were paying for my school they said that i need to go to a real school and get a real degree which my apologies to anyone at fit or anyone with a fashion design degree because those are all very real and very authentic and i don't agree with what my parents said but i went to a real quote unquote yeah quote real university got my real degree and uh Senior year of college, I was putting things together to apply to grad school because it had been drilled into my head that that's just what you do. Yeah. And I stopped and I was like, no, I still really want to learn fashion design and go to FIT. So I broke the news to my parents, which they were more disappointed about that than I expected. My really? Mother was, my mother was very upset with the fact that I didn't want to get a master's in psychology. I applied to FIT. I did the, there are figure drawings you have to do yeah. and like sewing and you have to do this whole entire application. It's way more difficult than just a regular application. 
<laughs> I went there on the day of my interview and I realized like 10 minutes after getting there, there was no way I was going to get into this program because hmm. I was meeting these people who had not just raw talent, but they had been cultivating this design talent for years. They had taken previous classes at FIT. They had gone to fashion design high school. Yeah. I met one guy at the interview who had spent the last four years of his life preparing for that interview. Jeez. And I did my application in between psych finals yeah so i knew when i left there that i wasn't going to get in but i also knew i loved fashion because the way i know how transformative fashion can be and how yeah. it can change the way that you feel and that when you wear something that you feel good and you feel confident that could be a t-shirt and jeans that could be a ball gown whatever i know what kind of a change it can have on a person and i wanted to be able to you know do that for people but once I realized that there was probably no chance that I was going to be getting into that program, I started to think about, okay, how could I be involved in the fashion industry? What could I do? And writing has always been a skill. Mm -hmm. And so I started a blog. And this was years ago. This was, you know, 2007. Was it P.S. It's Fashion? It or was is... not. It oh, was, it was, a, a, it was a precursor um, blog. It was a precursor blog. It wasn't so much about personal style. It was about fashion in general. I wrote a lot about the collaborations that Target did because I found a way <laughs> to find the images on their site. Like, not even by hacking. I just found the newsroom on their site that was really well hidden. Oh, It had all the images before things launched. So I talked what? about the, the did designs. Did they close that gap? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was like, I I'd love to see some of my old stuff that I <laughs> never saw. But uh, it was really it was really exciting. So I talk about the pieces. I really want to be involved in the fashion industry and find a way to do that. And the blog was called Faux Pas is No Moss. So like, you know, what? it looks like it rhymes. Yeah. That's <laughs> Yeah, me <laughs> it was ridiculous. You combined three languages yeah meanwhile i took german for eight years none oh. of the language well i mean english yeah, obviously yeah. but it was it was a lot of fun and it was a great way to start and i don't know if it still exists out there in the yeah. ether somewhere it could i mean the internet remembers everything so i'm sure it's there somewhere but i started with that just simply because i wanted to find a way to write for a website or a magazine mm -hmm. and i felt if i can at least have writing samples to show that I can write about fashion, then yeah. I have something to go on. Because I knew just giving them like samples of my high school poetry really wasn't going to get me far. I know. <laughs> I had that all together. I was working as a legal secretary at a global law firm and hating every single second of it. I was so miserable there. But I've always felt it's incredibly important to be nice to everyone. I think it's easier to be kind and patient than yeah. not was very nice to the receptionist there. I took her shopping because she always liked my style and she was also bigger and she wasn't sure really what to do. Uh huh. And uh, we went shopping together and she told me she had friends that were starting a digital magazine She that they needed interns. She introduced me to them and I went from an intern for one day to the fashion editor the next day after I sent them my writing samples. Because again, it was a digital magazine. It was a startup. Yeah. We were able to do that. But my first day there, we did a photo shoot with Lady Gaga. And so, what? again, this was like 2007, 2008. So she still had jet black hair. She yeah. was performing in like basements and like underground clubs and things like that. And so she was fantastic. I used to work for one of my longtime jobs as I was one of the bartenders and managers at Rockwood Music Hall. Oh, really? And that was one of like Lady Gaga's like first stops on the way to stardom. And That's she was awesome. a regular at stage one in wow. Rockwood Music Hall. And then I showed up like the year after <laughs> she's she started getting bigger and, yeah. and going because she used to have used to be a duo there used to be another mm -hmm. girl involved and then it's like lady starlight or yeah something, i think and then they were there for a while and then she stopped working with her was still mm. at rockwood and then i missed the whole thing oh. and then like 
I think Poker Face came out. And I was okay. just like, wait, that that's her? That yeah. was that girl you guys keep talking about? She was awesome. I actually got to interview her, which was really cool. That's fantastic. Um, she is down to earth as I like. Down to earth is not the right word. Yeah. Because she's not down to earth. But she's for some reason very relatable yeah. with her eccentricity. I felt that she was authentic. I, yeah. She just has more money now. So she can do more over the top things. But when she showed up, she wasn't wearing pants. She was wearing just like sparkly tights and a fun top and she had just shot her first music video which literally was just footage of her performing at clubs and rolling around on the floor and like i don't know if that video ever got any airplay anywhere i think it was just for her own enjoyment but she was fantastic and she was so much fun we shot the i think it was at the cutting room and okay it was just it was a blast and those pictures do exist i do have a couple on my computer the digital magazine unfortunately was run by like a con artist who oh, uh no. he was he was a shyster but new york freelance yeah. story number oh, one yeah. but <laughs> but it was enough having business cards with the name of the digital magazine yeah. and it having my name saying fashion editor was literally enough to get me in the door at fashion week and my biggest goal was to go and see a show at New York Fashion Week at the Tents. Yeah. And the law firm I worked at was at Bryant Park. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, it like looked at Bryant Park. And so I would see the Tents go up and just enormous amounts of envy. And I sent out that year when I had those cards and I could say I was writing for this website, I sent out hundreds of emails, like yeah. literally to any email address I could find attached to any brand that was showing. And I got invited to nine shows. That's amazing. Yeah, it really was. And I very friendly with people and very open. And I found people who also like they just were such fans of everything Yeah, that they just wanted to be involved and they wanted to try to network and get out there. And I also took improv classes and ran the improv troupe in high school and college. So that really helps me think on my feet. Yeah. So this was back when it was at Bryant Park and we were able to sneak into a bunch more shows by going to the back and saying we had an interview. And I found that, you know, if you walk with confidence and you act like you belong, a lot of times people don't question you. Yeah. You know, and I never once was like, never gave attitude, never saying like, don't you know who I am? Because that's bullshit. Who are you? The second someone does that, it's like, no. As the worst, just like makes my skin crawl. But I found that being nice and friendly and confident got me so far and met tons of people through that and it was it was fantastic it still was like one of the best weeks of my life because it was something I was striving for for so long and it meant so much and I still was working at that law firm at the same time so Uh, it was a lot of juggling and there was a lot of that in the beginning of my career was just like me working a full-time job that I hated and then doing all this other stuff on the side but in 2008 everything went to shit in the recession and they laid off 13 of us one morning it was one week after the christmas party one week before christmas and they just laid us off they didn't even warn the the lawyers or anything and like people were in an uproar yeah i was upset at first because no one liked getting laid off and it was my first time ever getting laid off and i didn't know what to do and and I realized like this was a golden opportunity because at that time, you know, I was living with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my health insurance was through this company. My money was through this company. I never would have been able to willingly leave something like that with that type of stability. That, that push. Yeah. yeah. And so I found that like being laid off was such an amazing opportunity because I was able to get unemployment and that find helps, yeah. a uh, internship in fashion because yeah. You know, for anyone that's interested in getting involved in fashion, you might get lucky and they might offer you college credit if you're still in college. Yeah. But otherwise, they don't pay. 
they don't pay anything. No. Yeah. Nothing Which at all. Which I'm sure is very illegal, but... I was talking to another blogger yeah. that I'm friends with. I won't say his name, but I was like, hey, man, who takes all these pictures? He's like, oh, my intern. And I was like, you have an intern? And he goes, yeah, you should get one. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, I'm like, I can't get an intern. He's like, no, you totally could. And I yeah. was just like, that's a crazy <laughs> awful. But... But there are way more legit interns. I know yeah. IMG has a huge internship program. Oh, yeah. So it's like, yeah. I'm not going to say it's everywhere, but like, it's... It's a little... It's sometimes almost watch all out. of it. Yeah. It's almost all of it. There probably are a couple of people that pay, but like, yeah. I got a fashion internship working in a high-end showroom uh, uh-huh. doing sales, and it was a bit like Devil, Devil Wears Prada. It was all of those types of stereotypes that you have seen and heard about. Um, you know, they wanted us to wear heels. I had a couple times my now husband then boyfriend drove in with slippers to pick me up because mm-hmm. i blooded my shoes and i couldn't Jeez. walk anymore didn't want to see us eat you yeah. know like we would have to sneak off and they ran us ragged but it you know definitely gave me experience and it let me network and yeah. at the same time i was doing that i was freelance writing for the huffington post great when you are first starting off and you have no experience under your belt and you yeah. have no exposure, it kind of makes sense to do that. Like I do recommend no, any yeah. writers as shitty as it is, like when you are first starting out and you have nothing besides maybe, you know, your college or high school stuff or your own blog and you need to get something, it sucks. But once you've cut your teeth and you start getting paid yeah. for work, you should never go back and work for free. Agreed. You know, and I would prefer that they are paying you if they're paying low, obviously. But having my work on the Huffington Post back in, you know, 2008 was huge because yeah. it also was before people realized that, like, oh, almost anyone could be a contributor on that. No, kind I know. Kind of like with Medium and a lot of these other sites. Yeah. Like, you can be a contributor and they're not going to pay you, but you can put up whatever. It could go viral. Yeah. It could be huge for you, but you still are doing, you know, free manual labor for them. Yeah. So you have to make that kind of a decision. But I was doing my internship five days a week and I was covering things for Huffington Post. And um, they had tried to tell the because the showroom also had their own PR team. Uh-huh. And they tried telling the PR team like, hey, you know, Liz writes for the Huffington Post. You should have her cover some shows. And they didn't really pay attention to that because they just knew me as an intern. They kind of were like, screw you, whatever. Yeah. And I snuck into one of their shows and wrote about it on the Huffington Post. And then after that, they were inviting me to all of their shows. Really? Even while I was still interning there. Which was amazing, and I, I think it pissed it. off a lot of people, including some of the other interns, uh-huh. because, you know, who was I? I was this intern. That's all they knew me But as. you were an intern that was willing to grind, that was oh, willing God. to pay yeah. the dues. Like, and literally that, paid money to go and work there because I'm exactly. paying for my own Metro card, my own transportation. Yeah, it just sucks, like, that none of the interns are paid and whatnot, and, like, the contributors aren't paid. Yeah. It is a sad reality, and it's kind of like the people who are willing to know that this is sucks, but it's a yeah. stepping stone that's going to get me to the next place, are the people who do cut their teeth and yeah. are able to keep going after well, that. And it also will show you very quickly whether this is something that you're willing to do. Yeah. Because you're, I think that's why I think, honestly, an internship is a great experience that a lot of people should have especially in these types of creative fields because you really need to know this is what you're up against this is what it's really like like it is exhausting it is tough and it's not for everyone and if you go and you try and you say like listen this is not the environment i want to be in this isn't what i want to do there's nothing wrong with you for making that decision i think it's better to try and realize like oh no this isn't it no exactly no that's that's a wonderful point so you start working so after you know you're contributor huffington post you have your own blog you're starting to write more and more around what time so 
were you always trying to cover plus size fashion? Because no. for a while it wasn't prevalent, to be, for a lack of a better word. Yeah. For one, when was the first time you actually saw a plus person on a New York Fashion Week runway? <laughs> the very first time I saw that was the Kiberia fashion show. I think that was in, oh my God, what year was that? 2013, uh-huh. 2014 maybe? That was the first time a plus show was included in uh, New York Fashion Week. The first time I covered that for Refinery, and you'd already been so you'd bonus. already been writing fashion in New York yeah. for for five to six years before someone finally yeah put up a plus show. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the very first time. It was part of a group show with Fashion Law Institute. Eden Miller's the designer of Kiberia, and uh-huh. it was an amazing experience because so I had started my blog PS It's Fashion kind of on a whim because. So when I first started going to Fashion Week, I think that probably was 2000, it's either 2007, 2008, I forget exactly was the first time. And I was smaller then than I am now. I was like maybe like a size 12. I wear like a 16, 18 now. And I was also incredibly unhealthy with how I was a size 12. Yeah. And like really, really didn't like myself and was really cruel to myself to be at that size. But I thought that I needed to be even thinner than that to be involved in the fashion industry because no one ever looked like me. Yeah. I still, even as a size 12, I still was the biggest woman in every room at every event i always felt like people were watching me to see if i was going to eat in front of them because like god forbid that you actually consume food at a fashion thing yeah i know you know, it was a very different vibe and the hors d'oeuvres are also so small right they're the, they're they're, they're <laughs> like a centimeter <laughs> yeah. long and, and, and they come up to your group and everyone's like no thank you and then you're like oh okay yeah no thanks i don't want yeah. to you want to be the one person That's what I do eating. at every party. I'm just like, oh, no, no one else. Okay, now I'm fine. I no. don't want any. See, now I don't give a shit. Now if yeah. it's something I want to eat and I can eat it because, I, I mean, there's certain foods I just can't eat. But if it's something I want to eat, like, fuck it. I yeah. don't care. I'm going to eat in front of you. And if it makes you uncomfortable, that is your issue and not mine. But then that wasn't how I, I felt. That. Yeah. But I still wasn't trying to necessarily make myself smaller with my clothes. I still wanted to wear things that made me happy, uh-huh. even if it didn't make me look thinner. My I had friends that worked in PR and they said that to put it frankly, they had never seen a big woman dress well and that <laughs> okay. I dressed so well. Yeah. They felt that I should really start a blog so that I can inspire other bigger women too. And they really encouraged me to do that because they just simply, they hadn't seen any examples of it besides me. I was like the one yeah. at that time. And, and I wasn't the only, you know, big girl dressing well on the internet or anything like that. Just like physically in front of them at fashion week. They just, yeah. they were used to seeing size two, size four women, whatever. And here I was at like a 12, 14 dressing just as well. On, on the, on the rare occasion that I am invited to. So, uh, most of the shows I go to during fashion week are plus size and curve shows Mm. on the rare occasion. I am invited to a straight size show. The difference in who's there is almost shocking. Mm. Like I'm, I'm usually the biggest guy that shows up to places, but I'm the biggest guy by like leaps and bounds at a, at a straight size show. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I love going to the plus shows so much more because for one, I'm around real people that I enjoy Mm. and are fun to be around and are enjoying the show and are appreciating the show. Yeah. When so so Kabir, you said was the first one. You yeah, that was to. the first one. So and I was already writing for Refinery at that point for like a year or so, and that was that was fascinating. And it wasn't super well attended because I think a lot of people didn't take it super seriously. Now it yeah. still got a ton of coverage because again it was the first. 
At, a, at New York Fashion Week. At New York Fashion Week, at official New York Fashion Week in the tents. At This was at Lincoln Center because it had moved at that point. Yeah. There have been, you know, a few brands here and there who have tried to claim they are the first to show at New York Fashion Week. Kabiria was the first yeah. to show at New York Fashion Week, a all-plus brand with all-plus models. Maxi Green walked in that show. She lives in Jersey City, too. Damn. Um, Precious Lee. I love Precious. Yep, she was in that show, and I think she was still going by Victoria then. And well, okay, there were a few. There were a few other models too, and it was it was fantastic. It was such an incredible moment to get to witness that and see something like that happen. And um, it was another how many years? I can't even remember until there was another plus show again. Like there wasn't really any others, and there weren't really any other plus models in other shows. Like, yeah. and I have a just I have a shit ton of connections within the industry I've been doing this for over 10 years now and I would talk very candidly with the designers with the PR teams with the publicists and ask them like why would they never you know if they claim like hey you know yeah we actually we can do custom sizes or we go up to size 20 or whatever like why wouldn't they include a bigger model in it and they'd just be like oh well that's not what people do or they would talk about the cost of the samples which I get it but to me it just wasn't enough of an excuse and it wasn't enough of a reason and I kept pushing it with different brands the entire time and different designers because I feel like if everyone just accepts the status quo and accepts that this is how things are, this is just how they are, yeah. then why should anything change? Why should anyone bother changing things if everyone just accepts, well, this is how it is? Like, fuck that. No, it doesn't need to be that way. It can be more diverse. And, you know, honestly, that's why I was inspired to create my sample size photo shoot that I did a couple years ago yeah. with the UWU studio because I wanted to really visually get the point across of what the average u.s woman's body looks like which is basically mine i'm five six which is supposedly like average height for uh-huh. a woman and um i wear like i think then i was more like a 14 16 now i'm a 16 18 and uh sample sizes are like a two yeah or so and again with these connections i have i borrowed gowns from a bunch of different designers and including christian seriano this is before he was showing plus on the runway but yeah. he has always been a more inclusive designer than basically any of the others oh, so like, i totally agree it wasn't an attack on him at all and it wasn't a knock to him it just was like he had beautiful dresses and i wanted to show something gorgeous i wanted it to look like something that could be in w magazine yeah i wanted it to be you know a little tongue-in-cheek and everything and i had these visions in my head and to be able to conceptualize it and bring it to life and do it i mean i'm not gonna say i did it all myself because i had plenty of people helping and the photographers and they all made it happen too and Mm -hmm. being given the opportunity at the studio but like i modeled it myself because i wanted to use my body as this platform and it was my first experience of knowing what viral fame was like it was you were it was intense for a while yeah it was a solid week of like people coming out of the woodwork to tell me they had seen it people sending me links to like russian articles about it australian and like so many people wrote about it and all of the articles that i saw which were a lot were incredibly positive about it yeah really seemed to understand why i was doing what i was doing and what i was trying to say and that was really exciting and I'm sure there were negative comments. I mean, there are negative comments. You could be like, puppies and free money. And people would be like, boo, yeah. I'm a cat person. Like, it, whatever. So I don't read the comments. You that was something I learned a long time ago. A better person than me. It's, I... Well, it's for self-preservation. Yeah. Honestly, like I, years ago, when Gabby Fresh came out with her first collaboration with Swimsuits for All, yep. I was interviewed on Good Morning America. They came to my apartment and they filmed me in a bikini. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize till after like how many millions of people were potentially going to be seeing that yeah because when you're in your own home 
you're just thinking like, oh, it's me and the camera person. Yeah, and there, there's the person six of us here. And yeah. then well, you there, know. Was, there were three and it was even <laughs> easier. I got over that fear really quickly about being in a bathing suit in front of people because I put myself on national TV yeah. in a bikini, in a two piece. Yeah. As a fat woman. I mean, like that was just so it just changed my entire mindset about these kinds of things. But at that point in time, I did read the comments and it was devastating the things that people were saying and it's like well like this isn't an article about health or aesthetics or like if you want to fuck me or not this is about there being you know style swimsuits for women over a size 10 exactly you know why are you focusing on like all these wrong things and i asked gabby i was like how do you deal with this because she was way more in you know way more in the spotlight yeah yeah. way more in the spotlight than i was um and she still is but she said she doesn't read the comments and you know i was like okay I'm just, I'm not going to be able to read them. I'm just not going to do it. So when things went viral, I didn't read a single comment on any of those articles. And there could have been fantastic comments on there. But just for my own self-preservation, I was like, I'm just not going to do that. And and I know that most of them were overwhelmingly positive. But as I'm sure you know, I was also a big, you know, I was a really big kid growing up. And it's kind of like people can tell me amazing things and how fantastic everything is a million times over. And you're like, oh, thank you. That's fine. I did one negative comment. And it is the only, you're going to have a hundred positive comments. And one negative comment could ruin me (laughs) emotionally for days. And I will hold on to it. So I had to do the same with learning not to read those things. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tough. I mean, people need to do whatever it is they need to do to not be destroyed yeah and whatever it is that might be for you i mean i am now at a point though where other people's opinions don't affect me like that because what i always think is other people's opinions say more about them than they do about me now you're doing this amazing photo shoot so you're on good morning america for gabby fresh but also Mm -hmm. you do your sample size photo shoot yeah it goes viral yeah you're you're radiating this positive message about how there needs to be more diversity and inclusiveness and there are i know you didn't read the comments but there's Anytime something like that happens, there's trolls come out. People have negativity about it. Why is it you think that there's such a large section of the internet that is so fat phobic that any sort of positivity or sense of self-worth in a person Mm -hmm. of size drives them out the window? Because they're miserable people. Because they... No, seriously. Hurt people hurt people. If you love yourself and you're happy with who you are as a person, you have zero desire to go out of your way, especially to like... Create an empty account, a fake account, a, you know, like a ghost account to just go ahead and say cruel things. Like, those are really unhappy people that go out of their way to do these things. And honestly, that's what motivates me to do what I do because I think that if I can help people feel better about themselves, the world's going to be a kinder place because when you feel good about yourself, you want to spread kindness. You don't want to make anyone else feel bad. Like, at this point in time in my life, I would feel terrible if I made someone feel bad, you know? I wouldn't have any joy in like saying something negative. And there have been plenty of times where I see something, it's not my own personal taste, whatever, like I just keep it moving. Like I don't need to tell them, oh, well, I wouldn't wear that. I mean, what does that do? Like what is the benefit to me adding that type of a negative comment on it? So there are people who they feel bad about themselves and who they are as a person. And the worst thing they could see is a fat person thriving. 
yeah. see someone that they feel like, how dare they? How dare they be bigger than me and be okay with themselves? Because I wouldn't be okay if I was that size and yeah. I'm not okay with myself right now. So how dare they be okay with it? You know, or, you know, maybe, you know, they, they don't like to see someone that doesn't fall into their preconceived notions of their European beauty standards and yeah. they just get mad about it or whatever. But at the end of the day, they are really miserable assholes who just, they need that type of, they need that power of knowing they're taking you down. Yeah. So that's why for me, like, honestly, with my social media, with my blog, this is my space. And, you know, I see all the comments that people leave in those yeah. things. And if I get any type of a negative comment, and I don't mean like a disagreement, but like a flat out just negative troll comment, I just block, delete and move yeah. on. Like, I do not ever engage with people. And mm -hmm. I have found that, honestly, by just moving on with my life, it doesn't affect me. But I know it kind of drives them a little bit crazy because they didn't get me. They didn't yeah. get me to be upset. And I had an experience with this in real life, which is what kind of taught me to do this on the Internet. Uh -huh. I had there was someone that was in our group of friends from college who I didn't go to college with him, but he was part of this entire group. I thought he was a good friend of mine. And this is back when like I was going to the gym for hours until the calorie counter said I'd burn a thousand calories. Yeah. I was doing juice fast. I was starving mm -hmm. myself. I was throwing up food. I was really, really terrible to myself. And it was the thinnest I was, which was like a size 10. Yeah. And I was I hated myself so, so very much. And I oh. had posted on Facebook about how I'd like, you know, just had an apple that day and. I'd gone to the gym for three hours and whatever and like most of the comments were there and like super encouraging like great yeah. job Liz you're doing great which looking back even that's kind of sick and uh I know I know <laughs> yeah. it, it is and, absolutely uh, <laughs> I got more comments when I was treating myself the worst yeah. than ever oh yeah I did the same thing I, I had a um for me it was like hydroxy cut and oh, all yeah. of those diet oh, yeah, pills I took a lot I of those taking so. a ton of them yeah took prescription diet pills that yeah. permanently like screwed up my digestive system and like Jesus. Yeah. I did so much stuff to myself to try to not to be fat and I just always like my body wants to be but when I posted this on Facebook that day he had commented all of that and you're still fat and like what this was someone that was supposed to be my friend and this is when someone saying I was fat was like the most devastating thing that they could yeah. say and and, uh. and it it just completely broke me and he was supposed to be a friend of my husband's and my husband called him was like, hey, you know, I really would like if you could appreciate, you know, if you could apologize to Liz, if you could just talk to her or something. And, and instead of, you know, showing any kind of remorse, he was just like, I'm not going to apologize. And I'm sorry that Liz exists. And like, he was just, he was angry. What a, yeah. And John, my husband was like, he is a miserable person. Mm -hmm. And he just wants to bring people down so that they are miserable too. And you know, it took some time, but I realized that my husband was right. I mean, this guy was super miserable. Like, yeah. it was very evident in everything he said and did in his life. And, you know, he he was sad. He was just a sad person. And he saw me, you know, even though it wasn't really healthy, but he saw me thriving and doing things that made myself happy. And he just couldn't stand it. He just was so mad about it. I realized then that like, you know, they always say misery loves company. And it's true. Yeah. Those miserable trolls want you to be just as miserable, if not more than them. That's why they're not worth your time. They're not worth your energy. It just delete, block, move on with your life. Agreed. You won't remember them. Agreed. You know? I have to have um, my, I, <laughs> I have a rule like on my own stuff where I used to read all the comments and used to get really upset. Oh. And now uh, my wife, Laura, <laughs> she reads them. And I just tell her, you know, I'll skim them and yeah. uh, but every now and then. But like she she's it's her 
almost like her job to let me know if someone says something <laughs> inappropriate enough to get deleted and blocked. There was a South Park episode like that, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I'm turning her into butters. It's oh. not fair. <laughs> but it's it's just become oh, very symbiotic. She's going to see the worst of humanity. Oh, and she did. Like, she just, uh, yesterday I get back and she's just like, hey, I got a comment you need to delete. And I was like, wait, what happened? She goes on your last picture. And I said, what was it? She's like, well. You were in San Francisco and you took a picture on a hill and someone wrote a long thing about how you have to be careful because you're in a sanctuary city and you're going to be murdered by immigrants. And I was just like, why are people the worst human (laughs) beings? Yeah. Block, delete. See you later. That's a whole new level. Not time for that kind of sadness and negativity on my page. So on the flip side of sadness and and negativity, when did you first become aware of the term body positivity? When did you first become part of that movement i have no idea when i first became part of it myself but started seeing a lot of these things actually on tumblr and that's where i originally i had my blog on tumblr and i was seeing people like gabby and back in the day ashley falcone had an article or column with mary claire that was the first big girl in the skinny world yeah uh before nicolette and that was my one my one column that was in a fashion magazine that was directed towards me because at that point there were no supplements there were no articles there were no garments shown that were specifically for my size range or anything so i like would take things as inspiration then say okay what can i find in my size that's similar to this which was always an incredible challenge but you know seeing all these things and it's just i was very very drawn to it because i needed that i needed that kind of community and you know so this was you know when i first was was uh still just covering like straight size fashion new york fashion week and like high-end fashion stuff i mean because that's what i started off doing was just focusing on that Mm -hmm. it wasn't until i really learned that the plus size fashion world was even a thing you know i knew plus size fashion was a thing obviously just because like i live in a big body like i had to but to know that there was this community out there it kind of started around the time for me when these pr friends of mine were like you need to start a blog because we Mm -hmm. don't see big girls that dress like you and they should and so you should be you know reaching out to them and i started doing research to see like well who is out there because i wasn't really reading blogs at that point you know not anything regular and i wasn't looking for anyone to look like me any fashion blogs that i was aware of they were size zero size two women yeah and pretty much all of them were white and they all kind of looked very similar to each other and i just wasn't interested in that like for me personally what i find very interesting is is diversity yeah the most boring thing I can see is a homogenous runway where everyone is white and they all have the same hairstyle and, and they all the are the same, same body height, type. Yeah. yeah. Like that to me is like, I don't want to see a bunch of clones. Like I want to see how a garment fits on a body. Yeah. And I know that originally they looked at, you know, models, especially runway models as like walking hangers. And it's like, if you want to do that, then just like literally put them on a hanger and just save the money and have... I'd rather go to know, a showroom and see them yeah, on mannequins if yeah, that's all if that's you really all, want. Right. Yeah. So, like, I want to see how a garment actually will drape on a body. And, you know, a size zero body is still a real body just as much as a size 20 body. But, like, I want to see a variation so that I can see how it would look on different body types. Because that, to me, is way more interesting. But I think I kind of got off your question a little bit. No, not... It. not it, it's This is all <laughs> but, interrelated. Yeah. It, it's just... But it's what... You know, finding people like Gabby out there, you know, was part of the inspiration behind starting my own site. I mean, it was mainly the PR people pushing me to do it. And I was like, you know what? I should, because why not? 
And the more I got involved with it, with just like detailing my own outfits and seeing examples of what other plus size women were doing and realizing even more so the inequality in the fashion industry, especially the high-end fashion industry where I was basically existing and seeing that like no one looked like me in any capacity. But occasionally there were people that worked in the fashion industry that were like me. Yeah. Like Fern Malice, who ran, you know, IMG with uh, runway shows, everything like she's not a small woman. No. And I would see her and I would see some of these other designers and just wonder, like, why is Mina White at IMG, who is the main manager of Ashley Graham and Precious and Candace Huffine Mm. and Danica Brishna and everybody. She's a a plus size woman herself. Mm. And she it's the same it's the same thing is, is i feel like one of the things so great is we're seeing real women finally kind of get their due in fashion fashion's funny because i yeah. feel like I, I i feel like it's so celebrated in that we're being so progressive now and mm. showing all these different body types but at the same time you go earlier when you're talking about high fashion it's still a very old world mentality there's like oh, a yeah. sect that is really pushing uh diversity inclusivity size acceptance mm. everything but then the old school high-end designers are still like nope yeah it's <laughs> fascinating for an industry that claims to be so forward thinking and always yeah. wanting to see the new the now the next they are so fucking antiquated when they think about this stuff like they are so slow and i've you know i've interviewed designers that have expanded to the plus like probable you know he had like a friend of his that worked in the fashion industry come up to him being like why are you dressing fat women like why why are you doing this with lane bryant like horrified by it because there's still that antiquated mindset and it's like oh my god you're supposed to be an innovative industry that's supposed to be looking at like what's coming next well guess what's coming next more fat people and more people who aren't white exactly. that's what's coming next when everyone else is closing their doors plus size and big and tall stores are putting up more brick yeah. and mortar stores every day while yeah, everyone else at, like, is closing them eloquy in the limited like to yeah. me that's one of the most fascinating and most kind of bitterly enjoyable like there's a bit of the shout in front of with it because it's oh, like it the limited had eloquy for like what a year maybe two not even yeah. and they didn't have it in any stores they barely advertised it i only knew about it because i was writing about plus fashion and yeah. so i had to know about everything in plus fashion and that's the only reason i knew some people didn't even know it existed because they put no advertising dollars behind it yeah and then they closed eloquy and then Jody Arnold, who, you know, now owns Eloquy, she and some of the other employees that believed in Eloquy bought the rights to the name to the company and started on their own. And now the limited doesn't exist anywhere. And yeah. Eloquy is now opening stores across the country. I think they have three stores open now, I want to say. Awesome. And like, obviously, I'd love for them to open up one in New York or New Jersey. I yeah, get the idea up, with guys. like <laughs> real estate being expensive, but it's New so exciting. cheaper in New Jersey. So yeah, 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 yeah. Come to Jersey Go City. Go to the Palisades Mall. Yeah. Open up your thing. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, it's, there's that little bit of bittersweet shot in front of it to get oh, to be yeah. like, look, like if you're smart, you will put money into plus fashion. Like it is an intelligent business move. Yeah. And the people who are dragging their feet and being like, oh no, fat people don't care about fashion or whatever bullshit they want to tell themselves are the ones that are going to be closing their doors and shuttering stores and are going to realize it's a big mistake. And I just, 
I don't necessarily have sympathy for those people anymore because it's being proven time and time again how much money there is to make in the yeah. press industry. Oh, it's a $21 billion industry. Yep. That, that, that's I'm always arguing for the men's side, and that's always yeah. the numbers I throw out there. Yeah. I'm just like, look at how big the women's side is. If we are a quarter of them, mm-hmm. it's still a $5 billion industry. You guys yeah. don't want $5 billion? It's insane to me that there's any hesitation moving into it. I remember this Absolutely. last fashion week. Emmy had walked in the Chromat show and I talked to her afterwards and I didn't realize that this was the first she came up to me and I was just like oh my god that was amazing you looked incredible and she said that was the first time I've ever walked in fashion week I've been a model since the 80s and I was the first plus size supermodel and she's still you know she's in her her 50s when she finally gets to walk for the first time which that on its own is breaking boundaries because there aren't even many thin models that are in their 50s that are walking in fashion week either and so I mean, she was breaking boundaries left and right, and it was amazing. And also, it is a crazy thought. Like, I, I've i walked in Fashion Week show before she yeah. did, which is crazy because she's way more notoriety than me. And she's been working in this industry way longer, and they should have been utilizing her for these things. Yeah. But, like, even when, you know, supermodels were like Cindy Crawford and people, you know, like to say, oh, they were bigger than, because they were slightly bigger than some of the models. Yeah. Now, but they still weren't, like, even into the realms of plus size they were like maybe a six instead of a zero exactly you know and it's crazy to see when people talk about these things i mean i've heard people talk about like Gigi hadid being really curvy and thick for a runway model who and it's said like, that tommy i mean she's like curvy but she is not thick by any means i remember yeah. someone said at the tommy show that she had to wear the poncho because she was bigger than the yep. other girls and i said she weighs 106 pounds right. soaking wet yeah. like what do you mean she's bigger than the other girls well because that's oh, some of the old as we were talking about is yeah. that super old school fashion ideals yeah. that they're that you should just be a human hanger you should oh, yeah. not be moving their clothing in any way yeah they don't want to see like an actual body filling yeah. up the garment in any type of capacity it is it is crazy and it's crazy that it's hard to know exactly where to point the finger on where the problem initiates because, you know, designers will claim like, oh, well, we're not being given the options of these models and like yeah. they have to create these garments ahead of time. So like if they have no mental plan to mm-hmm. have any woman above a sample size walk in their show and they've made everything with a size zero, size two sample, yeah. you know, then measurements become incredibly important because it's like, well, we don't have enough fabric to fit your body in. So like someone that like one of my friends, Liz, she's actually on the new season of America's Next Top Model. She was considered plus. She has lost weight mm-hmm. um, due to health reasons, not yeah. not because she wanted to, but due to a, an issue. And she went and went to go sees during Fashion Week, and she was told by the casting agencies that she was too fat with her, I think I'm going to say it was either 37 and a half or 36 and a half inch hips. She was too fat. What? Yeah. That's oh my smaller God. than my waist. Um, That's smaller than my thigh. Yeah. <laughs> and like she was being told she was too fat and I really seriously felt for her because here she was she's lost all this weight not because she was like oh I don't want to be plus anymore but because you know her body forced her to and like I felt horrible for her that she's now still being told she's too fat and Jesus. that they're going to put her in plus even though she's wearing like a size I don't know six maybe a size four I don't know exactly her clothing size oh my god but like it's those types of like mind fucks where it's like you hear about this and you're like So whose fault is it? I mean, I have friends that have their own clothing lines and everything that want to cast plus. And if they want a professional model, they can't really find models above maybe a 16 
me being 18, if yeah. that out there, if they want to have a larger size. Yeah. And there is a reason why someone might look to a professional model versus a non-professional model simply because professional model already has her kit together. She already knows what kind of underwear to wear, yeah. what to bring with her. She knows how to pose. You don't have to educate her yeah. on what to do because modeling is really hard. It yeah. looks really easy. And I bet for some people it's super easy, but I have done a decent amount of modeling now because of you know, being a blogger, you're your own model. Exactly. But yeah. I've done it for brands. I've walked in runway shows. I've done these things at this point. And it was a ton of time studying myself in the mirror to see, like, when I used to watch America's Next Top Model when, like, years ago when it first first started yeah and they would say find your light I always was like what the fuck are they talking about like the lights there like yeah what do you mean find it yeah and I understand now because it's like if you hold your face a certain way the light's going to hit it differently and it's going to change the look of it exactly and so it's all about like finding these angles and knowing but also knowing how to do different poses and, and without it looking like yeah. a prom pose or something and a lot of these angles and poses take you years to find yeah. and be like this is what works this yeah. is what doesn't I do the same like six things yeah. and every fo- you can line up every photo I do and they'll be like oh those are the six zacks yeah. that exist it's, and it's just because it's I know that's what the client will like that's yeah. what we'll sell clothing god it's crazy so i asked this question to every i asked this question to every guest i talked to and it is you've grown through your own trials and tribulations into this amazing career what advice do you have for anyone who feels like what they want to do is out of their grasp that they feel like they cannot succeed based on size gender sexuality socioeconomic status all of the above. Yeah. We live in a society that harbors on those things so much. What would you tell someone who feels like maybe what they want is not for them? Well, I mean, that's really, that's a really difficult question. My best advice would that's be. That's why it's last. Yeah. <laughs> My best advice would be to try not to see those things as disadvantages and try to see on how you could use those specific things that make you unique to your advantage and try to see try to find your own community to connect with because you're not alone no matter what it is I mean Mm. I think finding people who are similar to you can be very helpful to really get your footing in something and to be able to have just people to talk with and commiserate with when things aren't great and to celebrate with when things are great. But I really think finding a niche that involves what you've experienced in terms of if you're a marginalized person is a great way to approach it. And instead of seeing these things as disadvantages, you know, I got to a point with myself, with my size, where like, you know, like I mentioned before, I was doing super unhealthy things to be thin. I finally just got to a point where I just kept gaining weight no matter how I was eating. Even when I was starving myself, my weight went up. And I realized, I finally just got to a point where I not gave up, but I just accepted I'm always going to be a bigger person. Mm-hmm. So instead of fighting that, instead of being miserable about, about that, how can I go about, you know, making my life better while still being a big person? Because that shouldn't be enough to hold me back from anything. Yeah. And I found that by focusing on something that was near and dear and personal to me, it was the strongest motivator I probably could ever have. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see something similar in like, you know, if you are black and you want to see more diversity and you want to see more inclusivity and you want to see more people of color on the runway. I mean, make that your battle cry, make that your focus if that's what interests you. I mean, I found inspiration within myself and knowing that I wasn't alone with that. And this has been why I, you know, I still do a lot in high end fashion, New York Fashion Week and everything. But the thing that keeps me going every day is my involvement with Plus Fashion. And that all I want to do is make 
the world a better place and this is my niche to do it in everyone has a niche everyone can find their specific thing so use those things that people think are disadvantages and are negatives use it as a positive you know find your footing within your unique part of yourself that's fantastic Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, please look out for articles by Liz on Refinery29, Fashionista, Yahoo, Revelist, all over the yeah. place. But to make sure you catch all of that, please follow her blog, psitsfashion.com. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram. At follow PS her on Instagram, psitsfashion. Do all the follows. Just follow yeah. all the stuff. You guys yeah. know. You're savvy. You're on the internet. You're listening to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Liz, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was great. Awesome. Thank you. That was awesome, guys. So what's your battle cry? What do you want to put out in the universe? What are you going to do to achieve your dreams? And I love what she said about it's about finding your niche. It's not just about finding your niche, what you're good at, but make sure you're surrounded by loving, awesome, caring, supportive people. We all waste so much time with people that we may feel we never live up to their standards, that we'll never impress, that we're never going to get along with. Don't worry about them. Surround yourself with people who love and support you and everything else will get taken care of. And if you don't feel like you have that, well, you do now. I'm here. I I will be that person. I will happily be that cheerleader. The community of this podcast will be that person for you. I think we are all capable of amazing big things. And through support, love, intolerance, we can all make this world a better place. Thank you all again for listening to Big Things with Zach Miko. Please tune in next week where I'm going to talk to Jim Henson puppeteer Noel McNeil. It's going to be an awesome episode. Please take the time to rate and subscribe to our podcast. Guys, I know rating and subscribing can be a pain, but if you give us five stars, you have no idea how much it helps us and how much we can bring a better podcast to you for it. Don't forget to submit your questions for our social media days. Extra Big Thursdays are coming up at you this Thursday while I answer your questions about anything at all, about guests, about fashion, about life in general. I'll answer any questions you want every Thursday, Extra Big Thursday. You can send us on questions on Instagram and Twitter at Zach Miko. You can follow our Facebook page, Big Things with Zach Miko, at Big Things Pod. So that's Facebook.com slash Big Things Pod. Visit our brand new website that I built with my hands and my and my digits and my numbers and, and binary code and stuff. BigThingsPod.com. You can send us emails directly. Any way you want to get a question to us, get it to us, and I just might answer it on the air. Until then, remember that you are loved, you are valid, and go out into the world and do big things. Big things.